Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for another episode on the Plant-Based Superpower Mom podcast. So today we have an amazing guest. I'm super excited. We have Dr. Yami Kazorla Lancaster, and she is a pediatrician that advocates for a whole food plant-based diet. So I know a lot of you, you see a lot of things out there for adults, but you don't see a lot as it relates to children. So this is going to be a super exciting interview with Dr. Yami. She also has a website, Veggie Fit Kids, which I encourage you highly to check out. It's beautiful, lots of colors, lots of kid-friendly info, as well as her own podcast, Veggie Doctor Radio, where she shares tips for generating long-term healthy habits and lifestyle change. Um, So Dr. Yami, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. Oh, awesome. So I really want this interview to center around your new book, which is A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. And I know we're all dying to know the answer to that (laughs) subtitle there. (laughs) But I want to start just with what exactly is intuitive eating? That's a great question. And actually, I think that uh, writing the book, it's one of those things that I really feel like it is a lot simpler than we make it out to be. Feeding kids how and what to feed kids can be really simple. It doesn't have to be complicated, but we have overcomplicated it in our society. And I think we overthink it and we get really stressed out as parents. So what I wanted to do in my book really is spend a lot of time reassuring parents, helping them feel empowered and encouraged and supported to know that they're doing the best they can. And these little tiny changes can do a lot of good for their children. But as far as intuitive eating goes, intuitive eating is a concept that has been around for over 20 years. And the term was first coined by two lovely ladies, Elise Resch and Evelyn Triboli, in a book called Intuitive Eating. And the concept really is that we have the ability as humans inherently to tell when we are hungry and when we are full. That's really the basic gist of intuitive eating. And it sounds right now like, well, yeah, duh, but really in our society, that's not how we act. Most of the time we're talking about counting calories, counting points, counting macros, limiting our portions to try to lose weight, or even encouraging our kids to eat more because they haven't, in our perception, eaten enough. So all of those things that we're doing on a regular basis in our society actually contradicts intuitive eating. It goes against the whole principle of intuitive eating. So, you know, a couple of years ago, I really finally got the courage to say, I want to write a book. I want to write a book to support parents that want to raise their kids on a whole food plant-based diet and talk all about it. And I started writing the book and I got really into it. But then I realized that really what to eat is the, it's, it's pretty simple. It's how we're feeding our children that I think is the most important part because that lays the foundation for everything. So once we get to the point where we can respect our children, honor 
their hunger and their satiety, then we can layer on top of that. So that's why it kind of shifted my direction a little bit. And I decided really what I want to emphasize is building up those skills again in supporting our children in their intuitive eating. Yeah, that's, that's so awesome. And I want to go back to a couple of things you mentioned. And that is, and I think a lot of us listening are familiar with that phrase, you know, you can't leave the table until your blade is clean. And that's going against what you're saying is we have these, even as children, we have these natural hunger and satiety cues that are telling us, okay, we're, we're done eating. Um, and we, we, we definitely have become so fallen so out of tune with those with those natural signals that our body is giving to us but also I wanted to to point out too and if you could elaborate on this is that these habits this foundation that we're forming with food I mean this happens mostly in the younger years of our life does it does it not absolutely we're born being intuitive eaters Babies, we don't question them. If they cry and we can tell that they're making hunger signals, rooting around or sucking on their hand, we're like, oh, they're hungry. And um, especially if we're feeding at the breast, they turn away when they're done. And we don't try to force them back on the breast and be like, eat more, eat more, you know? So, <laughs> so at the beginning, we honor that a little bit better. But it's when this transition happens, it's between one and five years of age where all of a sudden parents start labeling their children picky. And during this time, most parents, at least two thirds of parents are going to label their children as picky. But it's during this time that children start to eat a little bit less, their growth patterns, they, they, their acceleration of growth slows down. So they just don't need to be consuming quite as many calories and they're also suddenly way more interested in their environment than they are sitting at the table eating meals. And then the other thing that I like to talk about, which I have a podcast episode on this, is that we have this whole snacking mentality in the United States and how snack is like an entire different food group. You know what I'm saying? It's goldfish crackers and fruit snacks. That's what snacks are in the United States. And so like all of a sudden we're kind of changing how we're feeding our kids because we start getting anxious that they're not eating enough and we start pressuring them to eat more. And it usually is between that one and five years of age where we start teaching them that they should not trust their hunger and satiety. No, you should eat more. Another bite, you can't leave until you finish the table. You must eat this before you eat that. Or we start bribing them with desserts. And ultimately what happens is that it's really stressful. It's stressful for everybody. It's, I, I, just, I used to be there. I'm not writing this book because I think I'm better than anybody. I'm writing this book because I've done everything all moms have done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I know what it feels like. I remember being at the dinner table with my son crying and I'm crying because I'm so stressed out feeling like he needs to eat more or that he doesn't want to eat what I put in front of him. So I know what that feels like. And so it's, it's really stressful, but what's even worse is that whenever we force our kids or encourage our kids to eat more or eat the way we want them to eat, the opposite happens. So not only does it feel bad, it doesn't work. It's, it like pretty much blows up in our face and makes them eat less of what we want them to eat or have more food aversion and just not want to eat because it's just not a pleasant experience. 
So it is very counterintuitive. We've learned that states that we have to, you know, kind of cajole our kids into eating. Um, and that's just what's been passed down over many generations, but it actually doesn't work and it stresses everybody out. So what I'm trying to do is come to parents and be like, hey, it doesn't have to be like this. It's simpler than you think. And we can all relax a little bit and enjoy eating a little bit more. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the five pillars of healthy eating that I've seen you mention. Yeah. So the first pillar is about intuitive eating. So basically honoring hunger and satiety. And when I talk about any of these things, obviously the book is, a, is for feeding children, but really it applies to everybody. And it works even better if parents themselves learn how to eat this way. <laughs> because whenever we learn to eat in a certain way or learn to eat in a certain pattern, we are modeling that for our children. So the same thing goes with intuitive eating. Intuitive eating and dieting are not compatible. So if you have parents that are constantly counting calories or restricting food groups because of trying to you know, lose weight or whatever, that may make it hard for them to learn how to eat intuitively. So the first thing is honor hunger and satiety. So whenever your child is at the table and they're hungry, you let them eat, they're done, they don't want any more, even if there's a bunch left, you let them be done. You don't force them to eat more. And I base this a lot of on women that have come before me, people that have come before me and have figured all this stuff out. And one of them is Ellen Satter. So Ellen Satter has something called the division of responsibilities. And I, I love it because it really gives everybody autonomy and it gives children autonomy. And they like having autonomy, especially during this critical age, this one to five years old when we start having these problems. And this is the way it goes. So a parent, what their role is, that they get to decide what, when, and where. So what am I going to give my child for this meal? Where are they going to be? You know, is it going to be at the dining room table? Is it going to be at the, you know, kitchen bar? Where is it going to be? Um, and when? So trying to set up sort of a structure, you know, your three meals, snacks is needed. You have a structure. It's not just this random uh, grazing all day. Okay. So that's the parent's decision. The child has their own autonomy too. The child gets to decide if and how much. So when they come to the table, you get everything ready, everybody sits down, maybe the child isn't hungry and they don't want to eat at all. That's their decision. That's their autonomy. Maybe they're super hungry and they eat the whole thing and they want more, or maybe they just eat a little, a few bites, which is very common for toddlers. They may just eat a few bites and they're just like, I'm satisfied. This is boring now. I really want to go play. <laughs> and so you don't cross over into their autonomy. So they decide if and how much. And you don't go over there and be like, are you sure? One more bite, just finish this and you get this because that is interrupting their flow. And then you're teaching them that you don't trust their hunger and their satiety. So that's where that breakdown starts to happen. But also I think it's important to remember that you have autonomy over what you're gonna feed your child <laughs> because I've seen so many parents say, well, you know, they only wanna eat this or they only wanna eat that. I'm like, well, who does the shopping? Who does the food preparation? Well, I do, but you know, they only want to eat this. So definitely you do want to respect your child's 
preferences and you do want to serve food that's delicious, definitely, but they're not the ones that are in control of what's being served. And for some parents that might sound really harsh and I'm not trying to be like, you're just, you know, you must eat this. It's not like that. It's more like take ownership, take responsibility that you're the one that's going to choose the health promoting foods. And you're going to mix in some stuff in there that might be more fun and playful, but it's not that the meals are going to be completely taken over by your child, if that makes sense. Yeah, okay? absolutely. So, so that's the first pillar to honor hunger and satiety. And, and I felt like that's like the foundation for everything, because I feel like if we can maintain that habit, it just sets us up for so much health down the road. And studies show this, that whenever we eat intuitively, it Um, helps us have better health markers, blood pressure, cholesterol, and plus it just gives us more joy and people that eat intuitively are less likely to have disordered eating and those unhealthy relationships with their food. So that's great. So the second food, the second food, the second pillar, (laughs) and I have food on my mind, the second (laughs) pillar is to emphasize whole plant foods. So this is where uh, the other super important part comes in. And that is to emphasize fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts and seeds, beans, and uh, make that the majority of what you eat. Now, when I was writing my book, I realized that not everybody that is going to read my book is going to be vegan or 100% plant-based. However, I know that there's enough evidence to show that eating an abundance of these foods, eating majority of your foods as whole plant foods is going to be very beneficial for our health and our longevity and well-being, just to feel good. I mean, there's so many benefits of eating this way. And so that's why I wanted to make sure that I gave parents a little direction when it came to what we're going to put on our children's plates but it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Some people, the ones that are 100% plant-based or vegan, may be a little disappointed to hear that, but I think we all have to realize too that we're just not all gonna be plant-based, and and even if we were, it's not gonna happen overnight. So people need a stepping stone to get there, and there's different personality types, and there's definitely some people that are just not all or nothing people. So if you tell them it has to be all or nothing, they're going to go to the nothing side. And that's not going to help children. I want to do what's best for children. And I think what's best for children is emphasizing whole plant foods in their, in their diets. And in the book, I do scatter a few very simple recipes throughout. And there's lots of resources that you can go to if you're kind of just feeling at a loss for like, okay, I don't even know what to cook or how to cook. But my main message there, just like it has been from the beginning is it's totally fine to keep it simple, does not have to be gourmet. And, you know, just dive in and you'll figure it out as you go. Okay, so that's the second pillar. Um, The third pillar is to create a positive environment. So what that means is, all right, so we got, we're supporting our hunger and satiety. We're making sure that we respect that in our children. We're emphasizing whole plant foods. But then we have to realize what we set up for our children. Where do we spend most of our time? It's where we live, work, and play. 
So our kids, especially when they're little, the majority of the time is spent at home and we have control over that. As they get bigger and they go to school, they spend a lot of time at school, but we don't always have control over that part. So the part that you have control over, make it a place where they're exposed to things that are going to support these healthy habits. So first of all, food. Can you fill your refrigerator? Can you fill, fill your cupboard, the countertops with whole plant foods? And de-emphasize the processed foods and the foods that we want to de-emphasize in our diet. Don't, don't have those out so that you see them all the time. Keep the refrigerator full of pre-prepared food that's easy for you to make quickly, especially if you have teens in the house. Because in the book, I go through all the stages from pregnancy through adolescence. And teens are one of those groups of people that it has to be easy for them because they don't want to put in a lot of effort to making food. They're, they get home from practice. They're hungry. They want to be able to pull out the rice and beans, put some salsa or hummus in there. They need it to be easy. So how can we set up an environment that supports these healthy habits? So food is definitely a big one. The second thing is going to be media. So what do we see? Like what movies are we watching? What TV are we watching? What magazines do you have laying around? And that's not just for the food thing, because definitely we can be exposed to media that promotes all kinds of less health promoting foods, but also when it comes to body image and body confidence, Kind of pay attention to that. I think we've gotten used to having things around that really emphasize this thin ideal and dieting and you know being at a certain weight or size. And whenever we see that, that creates a direct conflict to intuitive eating and body confidence. And so I just want parents to start kind of paying attention to their environment. What is it that you see and hear in your environment all day? And what kind of environment do you want to promote for your child? Okay, so that was the third pillar. The fourth pillar is to be flexible. So this is where I throw in a little bit more of that, this it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And I talk about the 80-20 rule. So even if you're 100% plant-based, you're like, I'm gonna eat whole foods till I die, sort of, but you may not ever die, you know? So <laughs> whole foods till I get super old. Um, there should be some flexibility, especially when there's kids involved, because we do have different personalities. And whenever we have children that go to school and live in the world we live in, <laughs> unless you live in like some sort of super isolated situation where they don't see any of these other things, they're probably going to be curious about once they get exposed to things like cupcakes and having cake at a party or drinking juice. I mean, I know that there was a time in my life that I was one of those kids or one of those moms that I was totally freaked out if my child ate something like that. And as they've gotten older, I've realized that sometimes when you loosen the reins, it, it's not as bad as you think. And it also gives your child that feeling that you trust them. It gives them the ability to test out their ability to eat when they're hungry, stop when they're satisfied, and pay attention to their body. Because if we're always telling them, no, don't eat that, that's not good for you, that's not healthy, they don't get the opportunity 
to eat something that might actually not feel good in their bodies. And when we trust them to make that decision, they're more able to tune in and make that connection. And someday your kid is going to live their own life and they're going to be away from you. So giving them those years where they're in a safe situation and you can talk to them about it and kind of help them through it when they're off on their own, they're going to be able to trust their own bodies. They're going to be able to trust themselves to make eating decisions that make them feel good. So being flexible includes the school situations, eating out, parties, celebrations, even family members, because we all know, and I think that this comes up a lot with plant-based people and, and vegan people, that Usually it's not like the entire extended family that eats the same way. So your child may go over to grandparents and the grandparents like, I want to make, you know, I want to feed them ice cream. And um, so how are you going to handle those situations in the book? I talk about different options. It doesn't have to be the same for everybody, but start thinking about where can you allow some flexibility into your life? Talk to your children about it because usually they're old enough now to start thinking about and making some of those decisions on their own. And whenever you let go a little bit, you'll be surprised at the kind of decisions that they make. Whenever we're like, no, you may never have that. That's not good for you. It's bad for you. Or when we start shaming them or judging them, that's when things may actually get worse. So that was the fourth pillar is being flexible. And the fifth pillar is relax and have fun. <laughs> so I just wanted to emphasize a little bit more that this just doesn't have to be stressful. You can actually enjoy the process of feeding your child from the time that they're a baby uh, through their adolescence and when they're ready to leave the home. It doesn't have to be complicated and just relax, enjoy it, do the best you can and know that you're able to tweak things here and there, but none of us are going to be perfect. And I don't expect anybody to be perfect. I'm not perfect. Um, so those are the five pillars. I just, I, I love everything that you just said. I was like glued here to everything you were saying. And I feel like initially when a lot of people make this transition, they do have this mindset centered around, okay, I have to be perfect. It has to be this all or nothing thing. And it does, it gets very stressful, especially when you're trying to feed your family. Mm -hmm. So I, I love how everything you just laid it out and it, it's almost going to be, I feel like a sigh of relief for a lot of moms listening, like, okay, good. <laughs> yeah. And that's right. my intent because I, I know, and, <laughs> and it's hard because, you know, I'm in, I'm in this plant-based community and there's definitely different personalities when it comes to plant-based experts. And you just sure. know the different, and I love them all. I love all our grandfathers and fathers in the movement. Um, and I'm, but I'm a mom, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not just a physician, I'm a mom. And I do most of this decision-making and cooking and preparing. And I know what it's felt like when I've acted one way versus of when I act another way. But the other thing is too, is that really at the end of the day, your kid is going to be fine. Really. That's the truth. Okay. Kids do great. And you just pay attention from this higher level. You do the best you can. You emphasize your whole plant foods and they grow great. They do great. And if there's problems, you can go in there and pinpoint it, make sure that there's not some kind of food sensitivity or something that's causing something. But most of the time they do really well. I think that we're just so 
worried that we're going to harm our child or that they're going to get this huge deficiency. And they just don't. They just do really well. And whenever we force and we get stressed out, that's when we may actually throw things off more. It's whenever we step back and we allow the child to use their own intelligence and we may maintain our position of autonomy and responsibility for the food preparation that really things go much better than we expect them to. Yeah. So I want to get into some ways to troubleshoot the picky eaters, because as you mentioned, I mean, so many moms label their children these picky eaters, um, as well as overeating, or if maybe you have an older child who's getting into some dieting behaviors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'll start first with the main thing I think that gets us concerned about our child's eating is their size. So I see this all the time um, as a pediatrician parents coming in and being concerned or having been told that their child is too small and that gets in their head and then they start getting really anxious and worried about it and that's when these habits start of like eat more eat more eat more and chasing them around during snack time trying to get them to eat uh, more food and then the same thing which is i think becoming more common now too is feeling that the child is too large and then starting to restrict calories, okay? So both of those lead to behaviors that put the child out of touch with their intuitive eating. So being concerned with weight and size is the first thing that gets us you know, worried about it. And like I said, that during that one in five years of life, children naturally they just don't need as many calories as they did before. They're not eating all the time like they did before, and they're more interested in their environment. So what parents see is that they come to the table, they only eat a couple of bites, and then in their minds, parents are like intuitively, they're like, no, that just, that can't be enough to sustain my child. But then they're ignoring the fact that their child has been growing at the same pattern and seeming to be you know, growing normally, um, but they just get anxious about the future. So that's one of the things that I think parents start to worry that they're, that the child is picky. And it is normal for children at that age too to start rejecting foods. So at the beginning, you know, when our kid is like six, nine months, it seems like they want to eat everything and they try all sorts of things. And then between one and 18 months, they start to reject foods. And then that becomes a little worrisome for parents, but it's normal. It's normal development. It's not necessarily pickiness. It's just what kids do. (laughs) Then there's also genetic differences where some kids, they are able to taste bitter flavors more strongly. And because of that, they may, for a time period, reject those foods that have those stronger flavors because they just, they don't like it. They don't prefer it. So those are definitely some of the things that can happen. But what I think really happens when we talk about picky eating is that you're bringing a child to the table that's not hungry. And if they're not hungry because they're still, they're still responding to their internal cues, they're not going to eat. And so what's changing this appetite? Um, 
One is snacking. <laughs> no, I'm not a huge fan of snacking. Now, there's definitely needed snacks for sure. But as the child gets older and older, snacks may not really be needed as much. But overly snacking. So if your child is constantly grazing throughout the day, every hour eating something, every 30 minutes eating something, drinking juice, drinking milk, because milk is still one of those things. Even recently when this consensus statement came out, it drives me nuts. But anyway, um, Milk is still one of those things that's recommended as a between meal beverage. It's a caloric beverage. It has calories. And especially if kids are drinking whole milk, it's got a lot of calories. So they're full. They, have, they got enough fuel. When they get to the table, they're not hungry. And so you're giving them this plate of food and they're like, you know, I'm just looking yeah. over there. I want to go do that. I'd rather go do that. And so and I then think people forget about the calories that are being drank. Exactly. And, and juice is a big one too. And there's a lot of kids that are drinking juice. Um, but then the parent's not really thinking about that because the parent's not living in the child's body and they can't feel the satiety that the child has. But then they come to the table and they're thinking they're barely eating anything. Um, and then they start getting anxious. And then they start labeling their child as picky because if you're not hungry, you are going to be pickier. Definitely when you're not hungry, broccoli just doesn't look that appealing. But you know, dessert will, I mean, you know how we can eat when we're not hungry, right? Because it's more hyper palatable. So a child may still choose some of those more hyper palatable foods when they're not quite as hungry. But if a child comes to the table with a good appetite, they're likely going to eat more than if they come and they're not hungry. So I think eliminating um, those caloric beverages between meals, if you want to serve your child milk, hopefully the plant-based milk, but if you do, I even recommend the plant-based milk at mealtime, not between meals, because then you get into this having calories in the stomach, having calories going into the body all day, then you get to the mealtime, not hungry. Um, but beyond that, I think the other thing that worsens picky eating is when we're forcing our children to eat, because the studies confirm that, that the more we force our kids to eat or encourage them to eat or bribe them to eat, the less fruits and vegetables they're actually going to eat. So it is very counterintuitive. It's one of those things that backfires on us. So sometimes even just taking a step back, sitting on your hands, biting your tongue, whatever you have to do after you present food to your child and not say anything. And it's not going to happen immediately, but over time, they may start to accept more foods. Even something, especially when your child is older, I mean, you know, the mom look, as simple as the mom look, I mean, they pick up on that right away. You have to be, I'm like, almost like you just can't watch the child. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just have to take a deep breath. I mean, I had to go through this myself. Deep breath, smile, you know, whatever you have to do to train yourself to give that trust to your child that they're going to be okay and that they'll eventually eat some fruits and vegetables. But most kids do eat some. They're just not eating this like everything you present to them. They need more opportunities. You have to continue to present these foods to the child because our flavors, our taste for food, it's acquired. It's, re it's acquired through repeated and consistent exposures. You have to keep exposing them. Now, I'm not saying just give your child a plate of broccoli, but definitely you know what they like, you know their preferences. So maybe you, you know, give them some whole grain bread and, you know, give them some blueberries or whatever it is that you like. Most kids like fruits and very easy to eat fruits. 
And then you put a couple broccoli spears on there. They may leave it. Don't say anything. You know, a couple of days later, you put the broccoli on there. They may still not eat it. It may take several weeks of you putting it on there and not saying a thing until your child's like, huh, I think I'm going to taste this. And then they might lick it and they might spit it out, but you don't say anything, you know? And I think that's the hard part is not interfering and not intervening and just having trust that it's going to all work out. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so glad you, you just said that because I don't think a lot of parents know that you do have to keep reintroducing these foods. You can't just assume that they don't like it when you offer it once or twice is that it is this persistence. Um, and then not saying anything in addition to, as you're saying, which, which I didn't really you know, I, I'm usually like, oh, try it, try it. So now I have to learn to <laughs> zip my mouth, I guess. <laughs> but it's yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you said that. It's really hard. And it, yeah. you know, I've seen all kinds of numbers on this. On my book, I just settled on the 15, but it takes an average of 15 exposures to a food before a child will start to accept it. Wow. So it's, it's, you have to be persistent. And what I love, this one story I love is from Jane Esselstyn. Um, you know, Caldwell Esselstyn's daughter. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. I interviewed her for my podcast a, a while back. And one of her sons wouldn't eat beans. And, you know, think of how stressful that's going to be whenever, like, basically your whole family identity is around <laughs> eating. <laughs> True. Plants, you know, and you have a kid that won't eat beans. I mean, yeah. Can you imagine that? Um, but, you know, so it, it seems like she really approached it right in that she wasn't pushy about it, but she kept exposing, kept exposing. It wasn't until he went to college that he finally started eating beans. And it was just one type of bean. I think it was like black beans or something. He finally started eating that. But man, it takes time, you know, for some things. Yeah. And you just have to hang in there and not judge and be patient and not give the mom look. <laughs> oh my gosh, how funny. And I want to bring up too, I actually just took my son, he's five, he, well, he's going to be six, uh, actually this, let's say Thursday, oh my gosh, tomorrow, he's going to be six. And I mean, our kids are pretty active, and I really try to, to present healthy food to them. And they're, they're fairly good eat eaters for being young children. And the pediatrician, who I love, he's like, oh, well, he's in the 85th percentile for weight. You mm. know, you just want to be careful about that. And, and mm. first of all, he's been in the 85th, I mean, his entire life, since birth. And he, like I said, you look at the child and it's like, really? Like he's very fit. He, and he's very active. So, you know, I know as a dietitian that I have nothing to worry about because I know the history. I know, I know all of these things that go, go on at home and how he eats. Um, but something like that for someone maybe who's not as well educated in everything that we're talking about, I mean, that could bring some worry into, uh, into the picture. Absolutely. Okay, so I'm just going to confess, I'm going to come clean here and say that as a professional, as a mom, as anything in this world, you learn over time, right? So I have done that in the past. I'm going to confess, but now I know better. <laughs> and I realize with learning about health at every size and intuitive eating, and now just really paying attention to children as they grow. And I think one thing that's really cool about my practice, because I have a private practice, and I didn't necessarily plan this to happen, but because I have a pediatric practice that emphasizes lifestyle medicine and wellness, 
I actually attracted like all the healthiest people in town. I did not plan for that to happen, but that's what happened. So I have this really cool cohort of kids that are just super healthy and I get to see their growth patterns and also learning from my own child and my experiences personally and knowing that there are some kids that are going to be larger. They're just naturally larger people. I'm five foot nine. You know, I've always been a larger person. My, my family is big, even for being Latin American, we're all tall people. Um, And my older son is also a bigger person, very muscular as well. But there's also going to be some kids that are petite and they may have parents that like the mom is like barely four foot 11 and the dad might be five, five. And they've been told by other providers that their child is failure to thrive, but they're, they've always been growing at the same rate. They're just going to be small people. They're just following their genetic blueprint. So I think that what you said is very true is whenever we have to be really careful about labeling children. And I make sure that when I look at children, I get a good history about how they've grown in the past, but also about their parents, because I can learn a lot, especially for a kid that's like really lean because there's different growth patterns too. There's some kids that are tall And so they may be 75th percentile for height, but they may be like 10th percentile for weight, but they've always grown like that. And so then I ask the parents, okay, because, you know, sometimes people aren't necessarily the same when they're adults. I'm not, you know, judging or anything, but I'm saying, so I ask them because if they're not necessarily look like that, I ask, what were you like whenever you were young? And usually they're like, oh my gosh, I was just so lean and they were always trying to feed me extra. And so I think it was just, that's just the way they grow. The kid is otherwise thriving, has no chronic medical issues, is happy in sports, eats fine. So I think getting a really thorough history, um, getting a history on a child's habits, because if there's a child that you see is crossing percentiles up, you know, having accelerated weight gain. And then you realize that they're not sleeping well, um, you know, they're stressed, or they've become very sedentary and are just preferring to play video games. Instead of me talking about the weight, I, I see the weight and I note it in my head as a medical practitioner, but I don't go to the mom and be like, this is concerning, this child needs to lose weight. I'm more like, hey, let's talk about the sleep. How can we optimize sleep? How can we increase the physical activity for the whole family and look at the habits? And so that's my big thing right now is emphasizing habits and behaviors rather than weight for both sides, because there's definitely some lean kids that aren't having good habits and behaviors either. And I think sometimes we have this bias as medical practitioners that if you're lean, you're fine. It's not true. You can definitely be lean and have some health habits that are not health promoting and are not going to contribute to your longevity and your well-being. So that's why I think it's important to get a thorough history, really look back, what are the parents' body types like? What were they like when they were children? How tall are they? What kind of habits do you have in your family before you start worrying about a label that was placed on your child? So I want to wrap it up with this because I mean, childhood obesity, it's, it's a real thing. And it's definitely concerning. So if 
there's a parent who, I mean, does have these poor habits. I mean, the weight is, you said not focus on the weight, but it's clear that there's extra body weight on the child. That's not, not going to be health promoting and promote longevity. I mean, where, where should this parent start? Where, where can we start with maybe, you know, instilling some healthy habits that are going to be health promoting and, and, and get this child on a better track? Well, I think it was, it's following the five pillars of healthy eating is learn the intuitive eating, get off of the dieting bandwagon, because I don't believe dieting is for anybody. I, I don't think, and what I consider a diet is a specific plan of eating or specific calorie count with the intention of losing weight. Um, and, you know, I don't want to contradict any doctor, so definitely follow the advice of your own doctor. But I feel like from what I've read and what I've studied for children, um, it's not beneficial for children. And when it comes to weight, too, <clears throat> weight is just one health marker. So, yes, we should take it into account. I'm not saying we should ignore weight. But really, you can start changing your health destiny before any weight loss occurs. So I don't want to get the parent focused on weighing the child or worrying about the child's body weight. I would rather get the parent focused on how can we integrate more whole plant foods? How can we change out some of the processed foods for whole foods? How can we move more? How can we sleep better? And also start trusting the child. Because if we start talking about dieting and weight loss, automatically that parent is going to start restricting food and that also backfires. So, you know, when I talked about the kids that we get them to eat more, they eat less, the kids that we try to get them to eat less, guess what they do? They eat more. (laughs) So, and then they start sneaking food and hiding food. And then that's when the parents put locks on refrigerators and cupboards and it just spirals out of control. So I think it's more about what food represent cleaning up the environment, making it a positive environment, getting away from the dieting, getting more active. And then in the book, I talk about the other habits that support healthy eating as well. The things that I've been saying over and over again, like the sleep and the stress and the physical activity, because they all change our metabolism and even our food, um, the way that we seek food, our food seeking behaviors are changed when some of these habits may not be ideal. So that's really what I would advise. And I think, you know, some people are going to disagree with me on that. But I think that that's, as far as how I practice right now, is what I'm recommending to my patients. Yeah. And that's what you're saying is the general consensus I've come across in the dietitian community is that children, really, you don't want to be placing children on diets based on what we've read and what we've seen and, and how we've counseled families. So um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of people who are on board with that as, as well. Well, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Yami. This was really amazing, super informative. I just loved every minute of it. <laughs> and I have so many questions. I'm like, oh my God, I have to go get that book like right now. I have so many questions now still. So um, yeah, okay. So thank you everyone so much for listening. If you want to know more about Dr. Yami and, and check out her book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, definitely do that. I know I saw it on Amazon where you can find you know every book in the world. Um, also her website, Veggie Fit Kids and her podcast, Veggie Doctor Radio. Um, cause I know you do that every week, right? Dr. Yami. Yes. My goal this, um, I'm on season three of my podcast. Mm-hmm. So my goal this season is consistency. 
Cause you know, I also run my practice and do all this other stuff, but I'm putting out weekly episodes right now, but some of them are a little shorter. Um, and my book is on pre-order right now because it actually isn't shipping until November 19th, but pre-orders are very appreciated. Um, so definitely Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and some other major book sites, you can find it. Perfect. All right, great. And it has a nice bright orange cover. So you can't, you can't <laughs> so miss cute. it. Nice, little like, tomatoes with faces or something too. You, yep. you can't miss it. All right. All right. Well, thanks again so much. And I'll talk to everyone soon.